Well, good morning, everyone. This is all wrong. When we lived, um, we lived in Osterville Avenue, just up the road here a little bit, um, in one of the big houses. And I used to come down here regularly to do school assembly. Um, this is all wrong. You should be sitting on the floor. The oldest should be sitting at the back. And the youngest should be sitting at the front. And then we could play games and do things. But we'll make do with this. It's really good to be back and lovely to have the opportunity of fellowship with you again here. Um, as a child, I grew up in a Baptist Sunday school uh, in Dundonald. My parents were very involved in the church there from uh, the time it was founded. And now that you know my age, you'll know that the church is the same age as me if you ever see driving past the big block at the head of the building, 1957. We had things like League of Church Loyalty. Has anybody ever had a little card that's been stamped? Stephen has, yes, of course. Oh, here's Fiona, a few of the other folks, Dorothea. And uh, we also had uh, little cards for Sunday school. And the, the whole idea of League of Church Loyalty, which some churches still operate, is you got a little stamp on your card every time you attended church. And then, come the end of the year, there would be prizes for attendance. And the choice was always between a book, a Bible, or a picture. Was that the same here? A book, a Bible, or a picture? Now, don't be getting excited. By picture, we're talking about a picture probably of some little dog with droopy eyes and a Bible text to hang in your bedroom. Wonderful things. Well, one of the things I used to get were Bible story books, uh, including ultimately, I think, almost the complete sec uh, collection of Jungle Doctor. Anybody here ever read Jungle Doctor books? Come on, show your age. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't read Jungle Doctor books, well, tough. I don't think they publish them anymore. Not terribly PC these days. Um, but one of the things I remember is a Bible story book I was given as a child, which had lots of pictures in it. And it was almost done, I think, like a kind of comic strip thing, except it was very serious. And it was telling me Bible stories in little frames with a picture in every frame. And I think those pictures lived with me for a very long time and shaped the way I thought of things when I would read the Bible. And this morning, I want us to think a little bit about how we form pictures in our mind of the stories we read in the Bible and how that influences the way we interpret the stories. Because when a story doesn't have a picture, you normally generate some of your own in your head, don't you? If you're reading a novel, you create pictures in your head of the characters, of the places, and then you're usually gutted when you go to see the movie because it's completely different. Well, the pictures that we create in our minds shape a lot of our understanding. And this morning we're going to read a very familiar story uh, and then think a little bit more about how we understand that story or might understand that story. It's Luke chapter 10. It's verses 38 to 42. And it's a story I'm sure you're quite familiar with. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed, 
and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So this morning we're going to think about this. I want us to get us thinking about the assumptions that we make when we read the Bible, and be aware of our need to be open to challenging some of the things that we tend to take for granted when we read the, the, the biblical text. Because sometimes there are other ways of thinking about things that opens up fresh challenges. So I have some questions for us to consider about Mary and Martha's story and some suggestions to make about how we use it. So let's start with Martha. At the beginning of Luke 10, Luke records for us the sending out of the 72. And in verse 18, he gives an account of Jesus addressing the whole group of 72 people that had been sent out on ministry to heal the sick, to release people from demons, and to preach the kingdom of God. In verse 24, it tells us that as part of that process, he turns to explain something to his disciples. So they're there as a group as well. In verse 25, it tells us that a lawyer stood up to speak. There's always trouble when a lawyer stands on their feet, but anyway, and speaks. The lawyer stands up and challenges Jesus, and that suggests um, that there was still a community of people around there at this particular moment. And verse 38, as we've just read, says, as they went on their way. So there's clearly a community of people here. I don't know whether it's the 72 in Jesus, whether it's a much smaller number, but there's, there's a group of people traveling here. And it certainly seems to suggest that there was a group of people entering Martha's home ready for some hospitality. So more than likely, I would say, you can assume a fair number of the disciples are there. Maybe some went off to get a pizza or something, but most of them are probably with Jesus in Martha's house, and she's trying to provide for all of them. And she's doing what she's culturally obliged to do, provide hospitality, and I suspect basically happy to do. We find in John chapter 12 later on that she hosts a special meal for Jesus, and that suggests a special event. That's because of the event where uh, her brother Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. So in response to that, when Jesus comes by, she hosts a special meal for him. So I assume she's a competent hostess. But what image do you have of Martha when you hear this story? What's your mental picture of Martha? What does she look like? Is she tall or small? Is she young or middle-aged? Is she plain-looking or not? What's she dressed in? What's your mental picture of Martha as we hear this story? And how is your Martha coping with the situation? Does she have her head down as she walks around the room, serving out food or giving dishes to people or whatever, giving very little trace of the frustration that is boiling within her, and then almost in tears, in frustration, coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Tell her to help me. Is that your Martha? Or is your Martha beginning to bang things as she walks around the house? Hmm? Is she looking daggers at Mary? Here, have an olive. <laughs> what's, actually what's your Martha doing? How is your Martha coping with this situation? And does she confront Jesus? Jesus, don't you care that my sister's leaving me to do all the work? Tell her to help me. Because your Martha and how you understand her will have an influence on how you read the whole story. In what way is your Jesus responding? 
you remember the song that Johnny Cash certainly made famous, your own personal Jesus? We all have our own personal Jesuses. In others, we have a mental image of how he operated, how he worked, what he looked like. How does your Jesus respond in this story and in this situation? Is it a gentle comment to the tender Martha who's upset? Or is it more in terms of a flat, no, Martha? I suspect that the Martha, Martha, which the text talks about, the way Jesus responds, could suggest compassion. Martha, Martha. On the other hand, this might all have happened before. Martha, Martha. How is your Jesus responding in this situation? And what does he mean by Mary having chosen the better portion? Is he making a pun with a twinkle in his eyes? Your Jesus allowed to make puns and jokes. I hope so. Uh, Some may be choosing your sausage rolls, Martha, but Mary has chosen that which is better. Or is it deadpan serious and compassionate? A counseling mode of reply. Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen what's better, and it won't be taken away from her. And what kind of person is your Mary? Is she a devout, spiritually-minded, deep individual, meditative and emotional, as one commentator boldly declares? Is your Mary sitting at Jesus' feet with a deep spiritual look on her face like a stereotypical image of a pious nun? Simply clothed, demure, is that your Mary? Or is your Mary a rebel sitting with the men at Jesus' feet? A bit of a tomboy or a feisty ginger, a (laughs) non-conformist. Sorry. Is Mary a radical? Is she bordering somewhere on the line between the zealots and the impetuous Peters of this world, who sees Jesus as the best hope for Israel, and she's fed up with all the stuff that she sees around her, and that's why she's at Jesus' feet, and that's why she's listening. Is that part of Martha's problem? This girl's untamable. She thinks housework just gets done. She won't conform, and she's not doing anything about here, and she's off traveling from time to time following Jesus. I suspect that for most of us, Mary is probably... Maybe this isn't fair. Maybe Mary is probably more the pious nun image rather than Minnie the Minx. But I want to challenge that kind of image this morning. And what is she listening to? What is Jesus saying that keeps her attention, that wants her to be there? Is Jesus speaking gently about angels and nice things and going to heaven? Is Jesus reflecting on the story of the Good Samaritan? And the importance of being a good neighbor and developing that with the disciples who are there. Is Jesus reflecting on the ministry of the 72 and the challenges that are out there in the world? The people that need to be healed, the people that need to be released, the people who need to hear the message of the kingdom of God. Is Jesus talking about the religious and political leaders and how they're planning to have him killed and how important it is that his disciples understand that the kingdom of God works in a radically different way from the rest of the way the world works? How you answer each of these questions, or how you don't think about each of these questions, determines what you hear the passage teaching, the main point of the passage. And the fact that there is no one answer to all of these questions means that what you hear preachers telling you definitively 
you need to be careful about and keep asking questions. So enough of the questions. I'm going to definitively tell you what's actually going on here. <laughs> I'm going to create an image for you, but I expect you to go away and think about it and to challenge it. I want to start back in Luke chapter 8. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, of whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Let's start in Luke chapter 8 and be clear that Luke makes it very clear to us that women were involved in the process of following Jesus and supporting his ministry and supporting the work that he and the disciples were doing financially and practically. They were part of the traveling community. Mary might have been one of them, I don't know. We're only given three names out of the whole group. Even if she wasn't, everyone has agreed that the term sitting at Jesus' feet denotes the position of a disciple. She sees herself and she takes the place of being a disciple of Jesus. And John tells us in chapter 12 that this same Mary carries out the outrageous exercise of anointing Jesus' feet and wiping his feet with her hair. This was at the special meal after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And this kind of action requires nerve. It requires determination and a certain lack of inhibition, if you think about it. So in Luke 10, Luke tells us that Jesus has come from another one of those encounters testing his authenticity. He's been telling a story that challenges all the accepted notions of the religious orders and the order of things in society. A Samaritan who can teach the people of God a thing or two about loving God. He's been talking about the treachery of the establishment and that they're out to get him. My guess is that Mary was among those fairly tough cookies, those women who followed and supported Jesus in his ministry. A woman unconcerned with convention, steeped in the prophets and their radical messages of justice and their disdain for the powerful and corrupt. A woman who is somewhere on the spectrum between the, uh, the impetuous Peter and the zealot Judas. And she's listening to Jesus teaching about the values and practices of the kingdom of God because that's what he was about. True, she doesn't get the domestic stuff. No, that's not because she's so heavenly minded she's of no earthly use, but because she's caught up with the practicalities of what it means to follow Jesus in her time and in her place. So Martha is at the end of her rope. Martha isn't sure that she approves of Mary sitting with Jesus and the men, daring to presume that she too is a disciple of Jesus and not just someone who provides dinner for him from time to time. Martha is irritated and she does demand an answer from Jesus and she gets one. What Mary has chosen. And it's not just about sitting listening, it's about taking the position of choosing to be a disciple. Maybe, just maybe Martha is conflicted in herself about what it means to respond to Jesus' call to follow. Jesus' reply is firm and gracious. Martha, your life is tied up here with what needs to be done day and daily. Mary has made her choice and there isn't any way I'm going to encourage her to back off. Times are dangerous. The issues are serious. 
The challenges are great. Mary wants to be part of that. That's fine. That's my read of the story of Mary and Martha. And if it sounds completely outrageous, partly it's only because the image of Mary in our heads has been created largely by white Western conservative men with their particular views of women. Now, I cannot prove my ideas about this, but I cannot for the life of me accept the idea that in a section of narrative in Luke's gospel that deals with the sending out of the cost of following Jesus and moves straight into the sending of the 72 and the story of the Good Samaritan, which illustrates what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself, that what we have here is a simple domestic story, the implication of which is you should read your Bible and sit at Jesus' feet. It's about following Jesus. The tensions and the demands that discipleship sometimes introduces even in the nicest of households. And just because this is a domestic setting, there is no reason for us to domesticate the message. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is not the same thing as sitting in a Bible study or a Bible convention listening to great preachers. That's not what this text implies. Sitting at the feet of Jesus symbolizes discipleship, taking the place of a follower. And that entails action as well as learning. That entails ministry as in Luke 10. That entails going out into the unknown, not rehearsing the things that we already know. It can be a difficult step to take and difficult for others to accept. The point of the story is to remind us that the call to follow Jesus breaks into breaks up the normal social structures and even the structures of family life. So my question for you, my last one, well, are you ready for the disruption? Jesus calls you, whoever you are, however you come to be here this morning, Jesus calls you to follow him. He has modeled for you how to live he has taught us about the values of the kingdom of God. He has promised us the help of the Holy Spirit and the fellowship of a community to support us. Everything's in place. Are you a follower of Jesus? Because essentially, that's what it means to be a Christian. Have you made the point, come to the point in your life where you have made the decision that this person, Jesus Christ, is the person I will acknowledge as the Son of God and devote the rest of my life to following and serving. That's part of what this challenge is this morning, a very real challenge. And what about those of us who claim to be Christians? Jesus might be calling you to follow in a new and challenging way. Is your life being unsettled by God for some reason or other? Is there a sense of calling on your life that it's time to make a major change and to serve God in a different way? That might be here. But that might be in terms of some other part of the world where God calls you to give up what you know, even if other people don't fully understand that process or why you're doing it, and to go and to serve God in some other part of the world, to go and minister to the sick, to go and help the oppressed, to go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, to go and start new communities of Christians and believers and followers of Jesus in different parts of the world. Is that the kind of disruption that's beginning to stir in your life? Has God got a call on you to do that? 
Is God loosening the roots like a good gardener to transplant you somewhere else for a different kind of life and a different kind of ministry? If he is, this morning is an opportunity to consciously make the decision to follow. Not everyone's going to be called to hit the road. Jesus will deal with the people who don't get it, who don't get what you're up to and why you throw away a career or a future or put yourself at risk. And the people who struggle will follow by the grace of God as those who support, love, and care for you. So inspired by a radical Mary who got what Jesus was about, you need to be ready to follow in untypical ways. We do this, and we look at this this morning, in the context of a meal. This meal, a very simple meal. A meal which was not served by Martha, but by Jesus. And so we have an invitation, not to Martha's house, but to the Lord's table. How do we come to it? Do we come to it as observers of a historical event, or do we come to it as disciples who are currently determined to follow? This morning, as we're led through this communion service and share in the bread and the wine, there's an opportunity for us to ask that question of ourselves and think about it. How are we at this meal? Why are we at this meal? What's going on at this meal? What's going on in me at this meal? Am I observing? Am I simply remembering? Or am I here as a disciple to sit at the feet of Jesus and then to go with him wherever he may lead me? Let's think about that as we share together.